last month called Take the Land. And we're going to close it out today with a message that I think you think you know. I think you, like when I, when I say the title and I start kind of unpacking it, you're going to go, oh, yeah. But on Tuesday or Thursday, I don't know if you live like you know. And so I want you to take this in today. I want you to really grab a hold of it and just really sit on it and really wrap your, your faith around it. You know how we, we got that statement, I got to wrap my mind around something? Sometimes we got to wrap our faith around something where it doesn't make sense on paper and it's even challenging to the faith that we are already living with, right? But there's a story. I, I love history in general, right? I'm a history fanatic. But I'm also uh, like a military history guy, but I'm also a sports history guy. And in 1969, if you, if you, any of you follow the NFL, you guys have probably heard the story of Joe Namath's Super Bowl guarantee. It's 1969. At the time, they had the NFL and the AFL. They had two different leagues. And so for the Super Bowl, the champion of the NFL and the champion of the AFL would play. But the NFL was regarded as the better league, better competition and things like that. And the AFL were kind of like the wild. They just have fun crew. And the previous two seasons in the Super Bowl, the NFL had just obliterated the AFL champion. Well, this year, the Baltimore Colts at the time were like the best team in the country. They went 15-1. and one. They completely just annihilated everybody they played or playing the New York Jets, who were pretty much like, a bunch of dudes playing backyard football and drinking beer on the sidelines. Just a bunch of nutcases, right? And uh, their quarterback is named Joe Namath. If you've, ever, if you've ever known who Joe Namath was, he's a guy that wears like a fur mink coat on the sideline. Just a really eccentric kind of guy. And they're interviewing him and before the Super Bowl, and somebody yells out, Hey, Joe, we're going to kick your blah, 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 blah. We're going to win. We're going to destroy you, blah, blah, blah. And Joe Namath stops the press conference and says, No. We're going to win the game. I guarantee it. They were 17-point underdogs. The, the, the score prediction was going to be 42-16. to 16. That was the prediction that Jets were going to lose that bad. And he says, we're going to win the game. I guarantee it. No, nobody else from his team was in the room. He goes back, and I read this this morning to make sure I have the story right. He was in the hotel room. He was in the hotel room with the defensive team captain. And he walks in from the press conference and he says, hey, I just said something. It's going to be all over the news in the morning. And he's like, what? He said, I guarantee to win. And the, the, the defensive team captain said, you did what? He's like, I guarantee to win. And he's like, why'd you do that? That's stupid. Oh, my God. He says, because I guarantee we're going to win. And the, the, they're interviewing the, that defensive captain. And the defensive captain said when, when Namath said why he did it was because he was positive they were going to win. That guy became positive they were going to win. And the next day, when the media got a hold of it and it was all over front page news, all over the headlines, the coach comes to see Joe Namath and starts chewing Joe Namath out. Why'd you say that? Why'd you say that? Because I guarantee we're going to win. And when he said it, the coach started buying into the fact that I guarantee we're going to win. And eventually, the entire roster bought into the guarantee. 53 people bought into it. The rest of the world thought they were crazy. But 53 people said, I guarantee we win the game. And if you go look at the numbers, it's not this high-scoring game, but it's one of the most, like, 
uh, complete dominations in the Super Bowl era ever. The Jets completely embarrassed this other team, all because they guaranteed they were going to win. Because somebody said, I guarantee you're going to win. I'll let you know something this morning. Somebody has guaranteed you're going to win. It's, it's done. It's finished. It's over. Doesn't matter what it looks like. Doesn't matter what the score is. Doesn't matter how you feel. Someone has guaranteed you're going to win. Do you know that? See, like I said a minute ago, you think you know it. We think we know it. We say we know it. But do we really know it? The title this morning is Take the Land All Came to Pass. All came to pass. Let's go to Joshua chapter 21. Joshua chapter 21, verse 43. Joshua 21, verse 43. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord had delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed any a good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your presence. I thank you that you're here. I thank you that your word is alive and active. I pray, God, that as I speak this morning, that this that we would wrap our faith around this word this morning, that we'd be able to live day in and day out, knowing that you are faithful to see your word through to the finish. Father, we thank you for this morning, for what you're doing in our lives, in our hearts, and in this church. And we honor you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to jump right in this morning. There are four things I'm going to show you from these couple of verses about how God brought it to pass, that all things came to pass. The first thing that we see is that God remembers his word. How many of you are thankful that God remembers his word? Book of Isaiah says that he watches over his word to perform, and he's waiting for people to stand on his word, to pray his word, to declare his word. He's waiting for people to do it. See, a lot of times when people ask me, Pastor Chris, I don't know how to pray. Read the Bible. I don't know what to say when I pray. Read the Bible. You could pray the Bible. Uh, people have asked me all the time, how'd you learn to pray? Two things. I learned to pray. My mama gave me a prayer that availeth much book when I was younger, and then I went to prayer meetings. And I just listened to other people pray. And when I heard somebody pray something, I was like, oh, I'm going to try that. And I heard somebody else pray something, I'm going to try that. There was a lady in Shamat. She was going on to be with the Lord. Her name was Eileen Englehart. And Miss Eileen occasionally spoke sentences that weren't scripture occasionally but for the most part when you're around miss eileen she was quoting scripture we played one time we, we had a bible trivia game and shell for some leadership event we did and we gave um i would quote i would ask a question but you couldn't give the answer without the scripture reference and so i would i would say the the question and my brother cliff was on miss eileen's team and so he literally would just raise his hand didn't know the answer he was just quick then quicker than the other people, he just raised his hand. And I'd go, yeah, and he'd go, what is it? And she'd tell him what it was. And then the answer, and this, and we finally had to like, okay, that's illegal. You can't keep doing that. She's a cheat code. 
She needs to stop playing. I remember Brett being pretty mad that day, actually. But regardless of what I'm saying is that the word was in her. And because the word was in her, she began to pray the word. And as she was praying the word, God would do things. Because he's watching over his word to perform it here. In verse 43, we see the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers. This is important. Notice how it's written. The Lord gave to Israel the land which he had sworn to their fathers. God was faithful to his people. God was faithful to his word. God had told Abraham years and years and years and years and years and years ago before this. I believe it's like 600 years that God had told Abraham, I'm going to give you this land as your descendants. and going to be as many as the sands of the sea. This is how many you're going to have. I'm going to give this to you. Yet it had taken this long to come to pass. But God, here it says, so the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers. See, what you don't understand is many of you right now are walking in the answered prayer to your grandparent who died before it ever came to pass. My grandfather went to be with the Lord in 1998. There are things that he prayed over my life that I'm just beginning to walk in. Even though he's no longer here, he, I am still walking in the answered prayer that he prayed because God is faithful to his word and he's faithful to his people. See, you might be thinking, I'm not seeing the result of my prayer. No, you may not see it in this life. Because Abraham didn't see the fullness of the promise in his life. But he ended up seeing the fullness of the promise, and he sees it every day. Every time a new believer goes home, he gets, gets to be with the Lord. Abraham realized that's another piece of the seashore. That's another sand on the seashore. That's another star in the sky. That's another descendant of mine because they believed in Jesus. So we see that he remembers and he's faithful to his word. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. This is the faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Watch this. Because he cannot deny himself. When I said earlier, you got to wrap your faith around. There's sometimes that God will call you to do things that you're like, oh, I, don't, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. But you want to. Jesus comes to pray for the sick man, and he says, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm going to tell you a secret. I think one of the most honest prayers a Christian can ever pray is, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I'm not sure how you're going to get me. I, I believe you will, but I'm, I'm, this, this one's tough. I'm struggling through this one. I don't understand this one. This doesn't make sense. I'm not sure why you chose to do it this way. I believe, but help my unbelief. Because even when we are faithless, even when we are low in faith, even when we are overwhelmed by doubt and insecurity and fear, but we're trying, we're clinging with every piece of fingernail we have to the word of God. We're trying as hard as we can. And we feel like we're being drugged behind a boat without the skis, just holding on to the rope. That ever happened to you? Happened to me one time. I was kneeboarding, and the kneeboard was gone, and I never let go of the rope. And that was pretty unpleasant, like three-second boat ride. Sometimes that's what, what living this Christian life is like. You're drugged behind a boat without the kneeboard, and you're just bouncing on top of the water. But I'm holding on to him with everything I've got. It's a, it's a struggle, but I believe that you're going to figure this out, God, because he remembers his word. And even when I'm faithless, even when I don't have it all figured out and put together, 
he's still faithful. How amazing is that? You realize how awesome that is? That he's faithful even when we aren't? How incredible. One of, the, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen, still it blows my mind, is when there's, there's a marriage and one of the members of the marriage commits adultery. One of the most amazing things to me is when the other person says, I'm going to stay. It, every time I hear that story, it blows my mind. Because even when somebody was faithless, somebody remained faithful. Imagine how much greater it is when God does that for us. Because he does that all the time. I don't know about you, but I've dropped the ball quite a bit. I screw it up quite a bit. But he remembers his word. The second thing we see is that God gives rest. Now, the word here for rest in Hebrew is nuah. It means to let alone or settle down. From the moment Israel left Egypt to this point, it's been 65 years. They had been traveling and fighting in the middle of war and, and being vagabonds in the wilderness for 65 years. Their journey could collect Social Security. They've been traveling and fighting and fighting and traveling and traveling and fighting and fighting and traveling. And yet they get here and finally, God brings them to a season of rest from their fighting. Now it's very important to realize that the season of rest from their fighting wasn't a season of rest from responsibility. And see, for some reason, a lot of Christians believe that when they come through a season and God moves and God does something, they get to just kick back and go on a spiritual vacation. But the last time I checked, even on vacation, you still got to eat. Even on vacation, you still got to brush your teeth and bathe. I mean, I hope. If so, I ain't going on vacation with you. But even when you go to an all-inclusive resort, you haven't been to an all-inclusive resort? I've been to one. I've been to one in Jamaica about 10, 11 years ago. This is incredible. I'd go back right now. I'd get on a plane. I'd buy clothes when I got there. It was incredible. And they had food, people walking around, like trays of just cheeseburgers, just walking around. You want one? Here. It was incredible. But I still had to eat. I still had to bathe. I still had to shower. I still had to take care of myself, even in a season of resting. Even when we've come out of a trial and out of a storm, this, the responsibility of living this life doesn't change. But God gives rest, and this is what that rest feels like. How many of you remember being in school? Some of y'all, that's a little while ago, I understand. Not everybody, but some of y'all might be been, been a minute. But... You ever went to, when you were in school and you had a big test coming up that you had to pass? You ever been there? I, I've been there before. And you just had to pass that biology test. You had to pass that math test, and you were stressed. You were studying. You were stressing. You were nervous. You went to school, and you, was, you had the bubble guts. You didn't know which way it was coming. You was all nauseous and nervous and panicking and freaking out, and, and maybe you cheating, wrote your stuff on the bottom of your shoes, on your hand or on your sleeve. You, was, you had to pass, right? And the stress, and you couldn't think. Like, it just completely overwhelmed you. And then, and then you took the test, and then you, you got your grade, you passed, and then you graduated, and now it's been 20 years, but yet you still remember right now what that stress felt like. But you don't stress over it now. Why? Because that season is over. You remember what the stress felt like, but you're no longer in that season. That's the rest he's talking about. 
You've had young babies at home, infants or babies that just don't want to sleep. No matter how much you medicate them, they still don't want to sleep. I may or may not have had suggested NyQuil to children before, maybe. In the proper dosage. But that baby, all night, Lord Jesus, help me. I have learned something, though, that, that moms have better hearing than dads. I don't know if you knew that. We just had a, a, a sleep regression where, like, my kid forgot how to sleep. Benjamin just forgot how to sleep, and he's five months old, and just like, yeah, I don't know what that is anymore. I never heard a thing. Last Tuesday morning, we wake up. Caitlin's like, you slept good? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, I didn't. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, the baby was up six times last night. I'm like, I never heard a thing. She's like, oh, I know. You snored the whole time. Like, I don't understand. I, I do not hear a thing. Now, when we had other, my young, well, my older kids, when they were younger, I did. Maybe I just care less. I don't really know what, I'm not sure what's going on with that. But my, when my, my younger kids, my older kids were younger, I can remember every two hours, the crying. And remember trying to, to, to find a way to intravenously insert coffee the next day to function because you're so exhausted from from the stress and and, and you're on edge and everything's crazy but but i don't i, I when, once my my daughters got older we left that season i can remember the stress but i'm no longer in it that's the rest we're talking about it's not that you don't remember that season or remember that fight anymore what it is is you've moved past it I want to tell you something this morning. God will bring you to a place of rest in the season you're in. But that rest doesn't mean your responsibility is over. I need you to hear that. Because this next point here really matters with that. Because you see, God defeats the enemies. This here from verse 45. I mean, verse 44, I'm sorry. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man... Of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands. Now, all the Canaanites were not conquered. I mean, they were all conquered, but they weren't annihilated. If you read the story of Joshua, there were many of the tribes that they did not wipe out like they were supposed to. They conquered them. They put them in a place of submission where, where Joshua and the Israelites were in charge, but they didn't annihilate them all. But regardless, all of the enemies in the land had lost. They had been put in a place of submission to the Israelites. 2,000 years ago, every enemy you will ever fight was conquered. Thank you for the two people who rejoice at the fact that 2,000 years ago, every enemy you are ever going to face was conquered and defeated, every single one. But it doesn't mean it was annihilated. And see, I, I need you to catch this this morning. Just because Jesus won victory on the cross doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility. And there's this idea in Christianity that the moment I give my life to Jesus and I apply the work of the cross to my life, everything is beaches and days on the beach. And that is a lie from the pit of hell because the enemy is alive and active and he's after ruining your life and getting you to spend eternity outside of Christ. That's his whole purpose. 
And we have a responsibility that even though the enemy was conquered and defeated, he has not been annihilated yet. See, Israel was given victory from war, but not victory from responsibility to guard what God had done. If you read the story, it says, it literally says that all the days of Joshua's life, Israel had rest from war. All the days that Joshua was alive. But Joshua dies. And after Joshua dies, you start seeing a pattern develop in the nation of Israel. Their leader dies. Their strong, godly leader dies. And they get sucked in to the culture that's around them. Because again, they didn't annihilate everybody like they were supposed to. And they get pulled into the culture. And they start worshiping the gods of the Canaanites. And then God sends an enemy to conquer them. A strong lead, they begin to cry out to God. A strong leader rises up, sets them free from captivity, and then they're free for a while, and then they fall back into sin. They fall back into captivity. They're delivered again. They fall back into sin. They get brought back into captivity, and then the deliverance happens over and over and over again. Why? Because Israel had a victory, but they never guarded it. As a pastor, as long as I've been serving the Lord, one of the most painful things to watch is when you know for a fact that somebody was set free from something and a year or two later, they're back at the altar for the same thing. Why? It's not because God didn't keep his word, is that we didn't keep our guard. And then we blame God. Well, he must never set me free. No, he set you free. You didn't guard it. He set you free. You didn't keep the walls up. You didn't keep the boundaries up. Oh, well, Pastor Chris, I, I, I feel like I should be able to just relax in victory. There ain't no such thing as relaxing in victory. There's relaxing in eternity. But we've got to realize, we have to understand that there's an enemy that hates us. And he does not sleep. And all he does is think and plan and scheme to rob from you the purposes and plans that God has for your life. That's his whole purpose. And he will find any way that he can to do it. He'll use anything to his advantage. But I believe his favorite thing to use is whatever you've already been brought out of. Because it, it puts a question in your mind if God can actually do it. Now what's wild, what's really interesting and wild and fascinating about this story is the number one reason Israel kept falling back into captivity is because they failed to raise their children in the fear of the Lord. That's why they fell back into captivity. It wasn't because these armies were so big. It wasn't because these gods were so tempting. It was because they relaxed their pursuit of honoring God. It's because the standards that were set in one generation were not held up by the next one. And we're not held up by the next one. And we're not held up by the next one. Oh, we don't need to do that. Papa did that, but we don't need to. Mama did that, but, but, but. The grace of God, the grace of God. Hallelujah for the grace of God. Very few things frustrate me more than people who take advantage of the grace of God. That, oh, I, I, can, I can get away with this because God's grace. I say this all the time, this analogy. Because there's a family in Shemot who will stand up and amen me because they did it. We had a family in Shemot when I was younger back before Katrina, even right after Katrina, they had a, a son that was very, very, very good at baseball. I mean, very good at baseball. 
And every summer they would take off and do the travel ball with their camper and just go wherever. the. I mean, I'm talking about two and a half months out. And the parents used to say, we're reading, we're praying, we're doing our devotion. Like everything is good. Like we're still, we go to church when we can, none, none, all this kind of stuff. And my mom, who was discipling the, the mom and the family, would say, yeah, but what about your kid? Like, sure, you can handle it. You know, you've been set free, you've been blood-bought, you have a devotion life, you've been developed, you do all, like, I get it. What about your son? That son went through a very dark stage in his life. Why? Not because his mom and daddy weren't faithful to Jesus, but because he never knew what being faithful to Jesus looked like outside of traveling around and chasing baseball everywhere. Because one standard in one generation wasn't upheld over the next one. That's why Israel kept falling into captivity. Because when the children came up, they weren't raised in the same tenacity and spiritual desire that the parents were. And so they lost the hunger. Now, I'm not saying you got to force your children to worship a certain way or like force your, no, 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 let your kids be kids. But I'm telling you right now, if there's not a standard of holiness and a standard of biblical living in your home, the life you're living now, your kids most likely won't have. Why? Because I could show you time and time again in scripture where that was the underlying problem with Israel is they were not raising their children to fear the Lord like they should have been. And it wasn't that God was, go read Judges. God gave them victory every single time. And yet for some reason, the next chapter starts with, and Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Was it that God wasn't good enough at beating the enemies? No, it's Israel wasn't good enough at remaining faithful. And we've got to stop blaming the cycles we live in on the enemy. The cycles we live in are not because of the enemy. The cycles we live in are because of us. And we decide that we wanna, we'd rather stay in the situation we've been in or stay in the season we've been in than walk in victory and freedom because we don't want to give something up. But here it says that God defeats the enemies. Let me tell you something. God hands us victory when we say yes to him. Here, it's yours. He purchased all of it. It's yours. When he said it is finished, he meant it. It is finished here. But are we guarding it? Well, Pastor Chris, I don't really know what that looks like. Well, thank you for asking. For some, I've heard, heard, heard the story a few weeks ago. For some reason, when I was in youth, when I was younger, I mean, I know the real reason, but we're not going to get into that. But for some reason, when I was in youth, Back in like 2000, 2001, 2002, techno was cool. Should have never been, ever. It's a terrible genre of music. But for some reason, we all listened to it. And one day, we're in a truck ride, and I'm riding shotgun, and we put some song on or whatever. And the guy in the back seat says, hey, can you please turn this off? And I was like, why? Like, this is cool, duh. And he's like, no, I need you to turn this song on. And he's like, why? And he said, because I was in a club doing ecstasy to this song six weeks ago. And this song's making me remember my old life. And I can't listen to this. So, of course, we felt terrible and turned it off and put on worship music. Because that's what you're supposed to do, right? But see, he was guarding something. 
that God had given him? What about the life that God brought you out of are you still tolerating? What about the life that you begged to be set free from, that you were at the altar weeping when he sets you free from? What about that life are you still tolerating? Because that right there is how we end up back in captivity. That right there is how we end up back in bondage again. Have you ever met somebody who is an addict of, of something, drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, whatever it is, and, and to stop doing the habit, they start doing something in, in place of it, like it's a mental thing, right? Like when my dad was trying to quit smoking, he would chew super double bubble gum. That, like from the gas station, that little red and yellow bubble gum. Y'all, my dad would go to this gas station in Shelmet, and they would order him a 500 box because he was a private investigator, so he would sit in his truck all day. And whenever he wanted to smoke a cigarette, he would chew the bubble gum. He would chew the bubble gum. He wasn't free. He was just switching his addiction to something else. There's a lot of people who think they're free, but all they've done is just exchange one addiction for another. And they're not free. Because freedom from addiction is when I don't have to do anything because my body tells me to. That's the freedom from addiction. Well, Pastor Chris, I got to eat. No, you don't. You can go a little bit without it. If that, that's the case, fasting wouldn't be a thing. But how many of us get that urge at 1030 at night? I'm hungry. No, you're not. Drink a water and go to sleep. I had to learn to do that. Because I don't want my body to run me. I want to guard the victory God has given me. Because I'm going to tell you this right now. If you can't say no to a Kit Kat, if you can't say no to a movie, if you can't say no to a song, how are you going to say no when the enemy has set you up for weeks? And you go to work that day and that, that guy's hitting on you again or the girl's hitting on you again. Or you go to work and somebody offers you the substance you used to be addicted to, but you've been so busy saying yes to whatever you wanted for so long. And you walk right back into it. Why? Because the enemy can't make you come back into bondage. You have to agree to. But God defeats the enemies. It's our job to guard the victory. So we see first in this whole deal here is that God remembers his word. Then we see that God gives rest. Then we see that God defeats the enemies. And lastly, we see that God never fails. God never fails. Last night at the conference, we're at the front praying for people at the end, and I prayed for about six people in a row, and the question was, what giant is coming down tonight was the question we all asked. And they came up, and I said, what giant is coming? And about six people in a row said fear. And the first person that asked it, as soon as they said fear, the Holy Spirit dropped a word in me that said it's not just fear, it's a lack of trust. And so the reason, going back to the very beginning of this message, when I said you got to wrap your faith around something, I need you to understand something practically like moving forward as you live your life is here at the end of the day, this whole thing comes down to do you trust God? Do you trust him? Look at verse 45. Not a word failed of anything which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. Not a word. Not a word failed. A 
the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel, all came to pass. As I said in the beginning, somebody has guaranteed a win. Has guaranteed a win. See, the outcome is not in question. Your participation in the outcome is. The outcome is not in question, but your participation in the outcome is in question. Because that outcome is only for those who are in Christ. It's only for those who are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us in God, who has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. As I said, a guarantee. Now all the promises of God in him, Christ, are yes and amen. Yes and amen. Yes is his agreement and amen means so be it, which is the release. It's a decision. It's done. So all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. It's a guarantee. All came to pass. What are you saying, Pastor Kurtz? What I'm saying is everything God has told you will come to pass. Everything his word says will come to pass. Pastor Kurtz, what are you talking about? What I'm talking about is um, raise your children in the fear of the Lord. When they're old, they won't depart from it. Train up your child in the way they should go, right? That's what the word says. So I'm going to do what the word says and trust him with the outcome. Want to know how I know that word is true? It's because I watched my mom do it. My mom trained us up in the ways of the Lord. And when we got old, we didn't depart from it. All of us kind of departed from it for a little bit in the middle. I was the first one to depart from it. She's a little crazy, but I did it because I was the oldest. I'm the first one. When Cody went through his struggle, she was a little bit more laid back, but she was still a little stressed. By the time Cliff did it, my youngest brother, she's like, oh, God's got him. I ain't worried about it. I'm just keep praying, but God's got him. And Cliff was the one, y'all, that we was real worried about. Like, if y'all know Cliff, y'all know we had a reason to be worried. Hallelujah. But my mom used to always say, he's faithful. I remember one time, we, in the, we lived in this house. In, they lived in Slidell. I had already gotten married. I, was, I came home for something in the morning, and Cliff was arguing about I don't know what he was arguing about. But had I argued that way, I'd still hurt probably. Y'all know what the difference is, that firstborn discipline, that third child. Y'all know what that discipline's different, right? Y'all know what that's like. So anyway, and he's just, I mean, he's just going off. About, so I don't know what he was. And my mom's making eggs in the, in the kitchen. She's just making eggs. And I'm like, Ma. She's like, what? I'm like, what? She's like, Chris, I don't know. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I just don't know. I just know I trained him up in the ways of the Lord. And the word says when he's old, he won't depart. And my mom said, he just ain't old yet, I guess. That's what she said. He ain't old yet. So I'm praying he gets old quick. That's what she said. I'm praying he grows up quick. He's got to get old quick. That's what she kept saying. Why? Because she knew what this said. Now, see, you may know what this says, but have you wrapped your faith around it? 
Because the bottom line is this, is that it may say something, but what it says and what your life looks like often don't match. And if you don't have your faith wrapped around the rock of ages, if you don't have your feet firmly planted on him, when that stuff happens, you won't know what to do with yourself. You won't know what to think. You'll be rocked and tossed from to to fro. But no, when you're able to say, no, I trust you with the outcome. Help me get through today. I trust you with the outcome. Help me get through next week. I trust you with the outcome. Help me get through this night. I trust you with the outcome. Why? Because all came to pass. There are things I'm praying for about this ministry right now. I don't know how they're going to happen. I trust him with the outcome. Why? Because all came to pass. Because he's faithful. See, we got to understand something, right? He's never failed. We know that, right? Not only has he never failed, but he's never wasted an opportunity. There's never been something that has happened that he hasn't gotten glory of somehow. That'll blow your mind. That everything that has ever happened, God's gotten glory out of somehow. That's how I know all will come to pass. Because he sealed us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Next Sunday night, we're having the service. Honoring Brother Carl and Sister Dawn doing the transition thing. And one of the things that I'm the most excited about as stepping into the new role I'm stepping into is that there are going to be things that he prayed for, that they prayed for, that will happen in front of me. Why? Because all comes to pass. Because it's not for their glory. It's not for my glory. It's for his. Because all came to pass. This morning, I want you to know there is a guarantee to those who are in Christ. So the question is, are you in Christ? That's the question. And you see, sometimes people wonder if they're in Christ. I think, I might, maybe, kind of. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever wonder if you're in a swimming pool? You shouldn't. Like, I'm just if you are, let's talk. <laughs> if you had, you never like. Oh, I'm not really sure. I might be in a pool right now. No. You know when you're in a pool. I'm a deer hunter. When I was learning how to deer hunt, I first was hunting by myself. I'd come off the stand. I'd say, I think I saw two deer. And my dad would say, No, you didn't. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, When you see a deer, you know you saw a deer. It's like you know you saw it. You don't think you see one. You know you saw one. And then the, I remember the first time I went to a hunt by myself and saw a deer. I was like, oh, yep. I didn't think. I knew. If you think you're in Christ, you're not. Why? Because I know I am. Just like I don't think I'm in a pool. I don't think I'm in the shower. I don't think it's hot or it's cold. That might be preferential, but be honest, we know the difference. 
I know. Pastor Carl preached a message years ago, one of my favorite messages he's ever preached. It was called the I've Been Confirmed. And about how he knew he was right with God. And the things that happened in his life that confirmed the fact that he was right with God. I'm asking you this morning, are you in Christ? Positive that you're in Christ. Not I think I am, not I kind of am. No, I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm in him. Would you bow your heads this morning? You may be here today and you may be saying, Pastor Chris, I don't know. I don't know. I think I am. I go to church. I've said the prayer. I've done the things. I don't know. Or maybe I used to know. And I know I'm not right now. Two thousand years ago, Jesus hung on the cross and died to pay the price of all of our sins. And three days later, He rose again with victory in His hands for us. It's a free gift that He gives to all who believe. It's a free gift to all who believe. It's like having a billion dollars in a bank account with your name on it. You just gotta take the card. It's yours. You got to know. So my first call this morning is if you hear this one, you can say, you know what, Pastor Chris, I don't know. I don't know for sure. Like I said, maybe you think you know. Maybe you've done the church thing for a while, but you don't know. Maybe you know you've walked away and you're not in right standing with God today. If you're here and you can say, Pastor Chris, I need to give my life to Jesus for the first time, I want to recommit it. Just put your hand up, put it right back there. Just wait a here this morning you say pastor chris i'm in christ but i'm having trouble trusting him that it's going to come to pass there's something that you're you're wrestling with you're battling you're fighting you're struggling whatever it is that, that you're, you're you're having trouble right now believing that god's going to do what he said he's going to do That could be a healing. That could be a salvation of a family member. That could be a financial breakthrough. That could be a calling on your life. That could be the reconciliation of a, of a situation with somebody. That could be an addiction. That could be whatever it is. You're struggling right now, trusting God that He's going to come to pass. 
that's you, I just want you to come out of your seat and come join me because we're going to play this. Regardless of who you are, if there's something that you are needing to trust God in more, get up out of your seat.